Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. I have just found out that my co-host, Inman, has a voice that's similar enough to mine that people don't know which one of us is hosting. So you can tell me because I am charming and perfect. Um, shit, so is Inman. Okay, so that's not really what matters here. What matters here is that today we are going to be talking about a lot of people have written and been like, but I don't have community. Uh, you talk about community preparedness all the time, and obviously subculture isn't the only type of community, but it's one of them, and we're going to talk about subculture, and we're going to talk about DIY subculture, and we're going to talk about fucking doing shit yourself, and we're going to talk to someone who has a lot of experience of doing that um, at the intersection of marginalizations and not just reproducing cis, white, hetero stuff. So uh, this podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcast, and here's a jingle from another show on the network. Do, 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 do. Kite Line is a weekly 30-minute radio program focusing on issues in the prison system. You'll hear news along with stories from prisoners and former prisoners as well as their loved ones. You'll learn what prison is, how it functions, and how it impacts all of us. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand-to-hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. You can hear us on the Channel Zero Network and find out more at kitelineradio.noblogs.org. And we're back. Okay, so if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then why you think I've brought you on this podcast. Hey, y'all. <laughs> yeah, um, my name is Riley, uh, he, him pronouns. Um, you brought me on this podcast because we're friends. And yeah. also because we've played some shows together and done some things together. And yeah. um, I'd like to think that we have some shared affinity and maybe we, even that we are in community together. That's so, true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of why I'm here. Okay. Well, you have experience. When I was like trying to think, I was like, who do I know who has experience building DIY scenes and like punk scenes and musical sub genre scenes? Um, that's definitely a word. Don't look it up. I, do you have experience doing that? What's your experience doing that? Yeah, I, um, you know, I do have some, some experience doing it. You, you said a lot, I would say limited. Um, but I, I organize with a collective here in Asheville, North Carolina called Pansy Collective. We call ourselves a benefit booking collective because a lot of what we do is book DIY shows to raise money for um, either trans people's surgical or medical or just living expenses mm-hmm. um, and also for grassroots projects that don't get funding any other way. Yeah, so we book shows, we throw parties, we also um, organize popular education and workshops and kind of use the concept of DIY community in a punk way to push people further to the left. I I really like that. I think, I don't know if it was the first time I met you or just the first time I saw you play, um, was coming on 10 years ago now and you were playing this, um, playing this show. And the thing that just like really immediately struck me was 
how much it felt like when I first got into punk, when I was a like, teenager, I didn't give a shit about punk because it, I don't know, just, it, it, the, the punk on the radio was fine, but it just like, I, I liked Sisters of Mercy instead. Um, well, at the time, I probably liked Marilyn Manson instead, but we'll pretend like I only ever listen to Sisters of Mercy. And, and I, and then when I like fell into anarchism and I started going to these like basement shows in Baltimore and there was this ser- shared sense of like urgency to change the world and that this is a thing that we are doing collectively and a thing we're doing from direct action, even if it just meant that the five foot tall singer was screaming, I'm going to break a 40 on the motherfucking Nazi's face or whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like you like believed her, right. Because she was telling the truth. Like she probably got arrested for that. She will. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like a 17 year old from that scene caught 27 felonies for beating up Nazis like two months later. Um, and beat all the charges. Andy looks like. <laughs> yeah, um, she beat all the charges. But yes. And, and and so this is what struck me is that when I went and saw you play, it was like one of the the times I really felt that again, and it felt like there was like something there. And I'm wondering if you want to talk about like, well, I guess like punk and about what draws you to it, what keeps you there, and and what you're excited about DIY scenes for or any of that shit? Yeah. I mean, I can't pretend like punk music wasn't um, a facet of what radicalized me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and just, um, I think exposure to, I mean, I, I was into punk when I was in high school and I was into yeah, um, yeah. riot girl feminism specifically was like a really point of, um, and I feel like almost embarrassed to talk about it now, but no, let's, let's own that for a second. Yeah, right. Whatever. Because what brought me into that was also another um, facet of radicalization, which was seeking resources for being sexually assaulted at a young age. Right. So I'm like okay. becoming politicized um, through finding feminism and having these kind of first moments of, you know, I grew up in real rural North Carolina um there's not scenes where i'm from right there's not even punks where i'm from um and kind of ideas of resistance even ideas of bodily autonomy and like what may be happening to you isn't your fault maybe it's okay to be queer you know like these are like really groundbreaking ideas as a teenager and so i'm finding these bands that are kind of espousing these ideologies and um carrying energy that I had no outlet for um, or maybe just really unhealthy outlets for before I started listening to punk heavily and then really moving to Asheville as soon as I turned 18 because in this area the the queer and trans people from rural spots are told (laughs) if you want to go somewhere to find where the other gay people are go to Asheville Mm -hmm. and so I just listened to that and went where I could. And I, I mean, I had some really pivotal moments, both good and bad, you know, and I'm in really this kind of naive idea that like, Oh, you know, I'm coming into this from a feminist lens. So punks must be t- not misogynist. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then that I learned that that wasn't true really quickly because yeah, I started having shitty experiences in mosh pits and, you know, getting groped and my friends getting groped and, you know, just having, I mean, just unsafe experiences that also really, you know, pissed me off because it felt so not 
like this is inherently against the ethos of what this genre is in my mind because yeah. you know, I don't like, this is what this is like not even knowing that there's just a whole slew of um, <laughs> maybe like political or people who you know they're we're here for different reasons you know but mm-hmm. it, it really I saw a space that was missing and it wasn't just me it was you know a, 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 an entire group of young really fucking pissed off with a lot of trauma and something to prove about it. Uh, yeah. Queers who um, enacted a little bit of a takeover in, I don't know, like the early 2010s. Um, and so the okay. punk scene in Asheville shifted um, from really, I mean, I would do dude centric mm-hmm. to suddenly there's like, yeah, it's just like these young mad queers who are wearing pinked, pink studs and this is like a few years before gloss came out but i feel like that era just really yeah there was a takeover that i yeah. we, we both participated in <laughs> i i kind of i kind of watched I, I but i really appreciated it and i i yeah okay so i guess this one of the things that people mention to me a lot when i you know when i i talk about individual and community preparedness right all the time <laughs> and and Either people usually are alienated by one of those two words and either people are like individual community preparedness is just preppers doing nonsense. Um, And then or community preparedness doesn't resonate with people literally because a lot of people don't have community. We live in this very isolated and isolating culture. Right. And so one of the things that people say that, you know, the reason that I I was driving and I was like thinking about this problem. I was thinking about how people write this to me and I'm always just like, I don't know, just fix it. And I'm like, that's not a useful answer to provide to people. And I was like, who do I know who has, who perpetuates a subcultural space? That's funny. Usually when you say perpetuate, you mean something bad, but like in this case, you know, makes continue is actually sometimes a very good word. If it's a good thing being perpetuated, um, yes. makes the subcultural space happen and happen on a DIY level. And, and so I was really excited to talk to you about it. But, but so if, if the core of my question is like, you talk about like, there's not really scenes where you're from. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you do? I mean, I guess in this case, the answer is you move to Asheville and then take over the scene, but that's not a bad, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. In, if in places where there's not, I mean, it's a particular context here because it's a small town, but it has a longstanding history of punk ac- activity, right? If, um, but thinking about, the community I'm from, which I'm going to be moving back to pretty soon um, because I I can't afford to stay in the town that I'm in. So, you know, I think about starting small and finding who is around and building with them. Cause deep, cause yeah, the, the way that um, artists like rural artists and the kind of freaky performers that live out in the woods, the way that they move in this area is, by um yeah finding finding the you know the few people around them that they can build with and going from there even if it's just one even if it's just one person um or connecting over the internet but um yeah i mean the way that we the way that we kind of work to hit that mark and strive to support everyone is one by just casting a wide net and that's you know Mm -hmm. thinking about how you know, a lot of times to find whether it's just connecting with other queer people in a rural area. I mean, you got to travel far. And so casting a wide net to people who 
Uh-huh. Maybe you're outside of the friend groups or maybe you're outside of the social networks and really s- specifying what your actual affinity is. Like I see you okay. at a show all the time, but what do we actually have in common? Mm-hmm. Building no, I, from I, there. I like that. Cause actually one of the next questions I wanted to ask you is about, I know other people who are like not interested in punk because they feel like punk is like cool kids. Right. And they're not mm-hmm. cool. So what are they, they clearly don't belong. And, and that's, I'd love to be like, oh, it's just not true. Punks are all totally welcoming. And like, you know, you just described a bunch of experiences of punks not being welcoming. My first, um, the one punk in my high school got really mad. He decided I like was becoming a leftist, which actually wasn't true at the time. I was, I was a nothingist, not in a not cool nihilist way. I was just a fucking kid. Um, but he like pulled me aside and he was like, you have to listen to this. And he put like punk music on my headphones, but it was right wing punk. And the only thing I remember is I haven't actually bothered to look up what band this is, but it's down on a ge- I remember this very clearly. It was like 16 and it's down on your knees with a gun to your head. You're better off dead than fucking red. And so it was like Nazi punk shit. Right. He wasn't a skinhead. Right. He had a big mohawk and like, um, and I was like, man, this does not interest me at all. Like what the fuck? You know? Um, but okay. So punk isn't always welcoming to people. How do we make it more welcoming to people? One, two questions. One, if you're already in the scene, how do you make it more welcoming to people? And two, if you're listening to this and you're like a 16-year-old or a 35-year-old or a 73-year-old and you're like, this has interested me, but I don't feel, I don't know whether this is the kind of space I can get into. Like, how do you get into it or how do you help people get into it? It's kind of a tangential question, sorry. Nah, I think about, I think about like, I don't want to say just be fucking nice to people but maybe maybe part of it is like yeah yeah, be fucking nice to people um and don't reenact the high school lunch table drama trauma Mm -hmm. of whatever everyone is holding yeah i i think about getting kind of like cornered by you know these kind of like gatekeepy dudes when I first moved here like you know like it's kind of this typical like oh you know this band you know that band do you even know what you know I remember this guy at a show that I booked being like do you even know what a mosh pit is <laughs> you know, and it's like I, I no, not no no I don't sorry <laughs> I actually said it like this and then punched him he had a Florida <laughs> face Right in the Pensacola. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, if if you're in a position of power, in a position of, you know, some sort of, like, maybe you know the people around you and you're seeing people that don't, or, mm-hmm. yeah, just engaging people and, you know, making, making a point to make people feel welcome is a really easy start. And... If you're yeah. feeling unsure, I yeah, I don't know what to say because I don't. I think that attending shows and going out to social things, especially in this day and age, is such a small, small sliver of what DIY community feels like now. And mm-hmm. so, I'm also like pushing back on the bounds of what a what even counts as a DIY event anymore. I'm like, how about that? How about that workshop? Or how about the the trans woman's picnic? Or how about um yeah, the 
Firestorm Book Club. I'm thinking about so many other spaces that count in my mind um, under this DIY punk ethos umbrella. That makes a lot of sense to me, um, especially as someone who doesn't... uh, My write-up about the Anarchist Book Fair I just attended and played was, um, this is great. Why do shows start so late? Some of us are old. Why are the kids on my lawn? Why did I have to walk uphill both ways to get here? I, I, um, but what you're saying about like, just like being nice to people, it's funny how like, that sounds like an easy answer, but it's like actually the easy answer. And it's actually not that hard. Like I think about, I, I've, I spent a lot of time in like nerd spaces subculturally. Like I, I spent a lot of time at like nerd conventions of various types. Right. And like one of the things that is a, a cultural norm that people are trying to normalize in at science fiction conventions and shit is that if you're like standing in a circle of people and you see someone standing at the periphery of the circle to open up the circle. And so that that person is now standing in, and even they don't say anything, they're now standing in the circle the same as everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you don't have like necessarily as literal of a thing because like, I mean, science fiction conventions is just literally people standing around in circles all weekend. Um, (laughs) Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, like that. and I mean, people um, have a lot of drama on the other sides of uh, side of it about mm-hmm. taking people, taking strangers, and you know, who is this stranger in the wilderness? I don't yeah. know. You know, I'm thinking about <laughs> times people have been like, you know, who is that new person standing over there, looking like mm-hmm. they're trying to uh, accommodate, you know, like account for something? Is that person's a cop, probably? You know, or like people start yeah, doing all yeah. this head speculation, and I feel like, you know what's a really good way to try to figure out if someone is a cop or not? Go up and say hi. Go up and have a yeah. little conversation. It's really easy to tell really quickly versus yeah. just mean mugging the shit out of somebody. You know, you'll never find yeah. out anything that way. Um, but yeah, I think people have a lot of trauma on both sides. Like, I don't know totally. that person. It's like, put yourself out there. Yeah. Or don't. You also don't have to talk to anybody at the show. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Um, okay, so you're talking about like what DIY feels like now and how it's uh, different, right? And um, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that as you know, as someone I like, I'll, I'll I'll go to shows forever and I'll ideally play shows forever, but it's it's not as much what I'm interested in engaging in. And so with with Pansy Collective, do you put on a lot of different types of stuff, or do you just feel like the larger community that you're part of, like you put on lots of stuff, like what are some of the things that people could be doing? Yeah. I mean, we, I will say that my only interest these days is, is booking benefits. Um, and my only interest is, you know, back, back in um, pre lockdown times, we would set up shows for bands that are rolling through town. We would organize a fest specifically for um, rural queer and trans independent artists of, all you know different way different genres and nowadays most of what we do is just trying to fund our struggling community anarchist projects by booking parties and it it's all over the place i mean we recently did a cake sitting benefit where we had someone bake 20 cakes and some people sat on them and it raised a bunch of money for the book fair, you know, just like, it like varies from random gay pervy dance parties to, 
um, punk shows to workshop series. Yeah. We give the people what they want. But I'm truly, it's, sure. it's either a perverted gay dance party or a punk show is kind of what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah. I think I've been to a, like, I don't know if as you all put it on, it seems like it would have been uh, um, like a wrestling Wait. competition. Yes, the lube wrestling competition. That was that was, that was a fun one. That was that was definitely a pre lockdown party for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, play five. I mean, something I think about too with booking benefits is you want to hit a good like. So I think about what it takes to book a benefit that is both accessible to our community who mm-hmm. is broke as fuck and also will raise money for whatever projects. And I mean, the projects that we've been funding lately have been um, the Queer Powered Prison Books Project here in Nashville that sends free books into incarcerated um, queer and trans people. Is that Um, Transmission? Yeah, Transmission Prison Project. Which people Um, can look up and support if they would like. It's been around for decades at this point. uh, Yeah often has been one of the only projects doing this work at a time um, when it's incredibly essential. Anyway. Yeah, they get so many letters in and really just rely on community support to get the books out to people. So yeah, we've been supporting projects like that. Um, And I think about what it takes to, you know, kind of hit this mark of like, okay, we want this event to be accessible to everyone. And we also want to make sure that we, raise enough money to support the project and pay artists well, right? Yeah. Because at a certain point, we realized that if we want to book the artists that we want to book, they need support getting, you know, like booking, especially, and we kind of learned this lesson through co-organizing with some Black trans performers and promoters from Richmond um, Mm -hmm. in 2019. Like, if you want to book black and brown artists, you need to pay people well. So because at at the end of the day, if you're just asking artists to donate their time and labor to perform a benefit, then only the people who have the privilege and access to be able to donate that time and labor end up being able to perform. And those people are by and large white people. So yeah, we, we really shifted our values to like, just because we're booking a benefit doesn't mean that artists aren't going to get paid well. Everyone. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, hitting the mark to make sure that, you know, the community project gets a little something too. It's, it's a hard mark to hit, but, you yeah. know, I, I, I think about going back to that lube wrestling event, which was I, truly iconic. And, you know, charging five bucks at the door and five bucks to enter and making everything always, if you don't have the money to donate it, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. I think that it's really interesting to me. One thing that's changed a lot in the um, from like early aughts anarchism, which is as far back as I can speak to personally, uh, mm-hmm. was, you know, this culture of um, like now we pay people. Like now it's mm-hmm. like not bad to get paid for the work that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And in retrospect, it almost seems odd. Like the whole thing is we come out of this like working class movement, you know, and but I also understand why we had this like volunteerism thing. Right. You know, um, but I, I, I also I'm glad we moved out of it. Um, 
But one of the things that's really so interesting to me about like benefits, right, is that it really points out, it highlights to me that there's two points to a benefit. One is to raise money, but the other is, well, there's three points. You're raising money, mm-hmm. you're uh, raising awareness about the issue, and you're also building community and you're tying the community to activism directly. And like when I think about like how to fund a project, like the Empire Records model has never been accurate. Like you're never just like, oh, we got to save this struggling small business um, right. run by a white guy. But but we, we're going to do it and we're going to throw a party and now it's saved because we raised so much money. And that is like not the right attitude about benefits. But instead, because I, I think if I'm like, man, if I really want to fund a project, well, historically, and I would never recommend this anarchists usually do crime um, in order to fund projects. But usually people just go out and like are either like, like get yucky yuppie tech jobs and then just like like one person is going to throw down as much money as like the next 50 people who come to the benefit and that's right. great um and that's good and that is a good thing to do and 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 people who have access to working to get a bunch of money should put those resources into the movement but yeah. it doesn't build community the way that a benefit does and to me these seem like they go really well together I think so too. Yeah. I think it's a, um, you know, the serves the purpose of yes, us getting together. And I'm really thinking in this kind of specific queer and trans lens Mm -hmm. lens, like us just getting together is a radical act. And also to push that a little bit further, Mm -hmm. um, we're getting together to support people that are behind bars that we're trying to break down this barrier and break down these walls. And part of how we can do that and kind of, you know, disintegrate the myth that there's any difference between our queer and trans siblings on the inside versus us Mm -hmm. um, is by just naming it every chance we get um, and normalizing that conversation and really bringing it to the table because there probably are people in the room present who maybe um, haven't decarceralized their ideologies or maybe just haven't had a chance to think about it. And I don't think that, um, I don't know, college classrooms or, um, you know, on the internet are the only places that we can uh, kind of have these conversations or draw this awareness, you know? Um, Because there's also podcasts. There's also podcasts. (laughs) Uh Or just listening to me drunk ramble at you at a party. I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure that I've single-handedly turned at least two people onto our side that way. I mean... (laughs) That rules. And if they all turn two people on by drunk rambling at a bar. Keep going. Yeah. Fuck that yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, really, I mean, and yeah. also I think about, um, you know, as a promoter, I feel like I need to qualify after saying that I'm drunk rambling at people. Um, yeah. Setting up a fucking table with a bunch of harm reduction supplies and just leaving it. Mm-hmm. Um, setting up a bunch of free shit at a show and just leaving it. If you're thinking about like, I, I want a way to um, radicalize the party spaces in my town um, mm-hmm. without having to lean in too far um, or don't want to be there the whole time. Show up with a bunch of zines and Narcan and condoms and leave them on a table and scoot. No, see, this makes sense to me. And it also is like, as someone who's like fairly, I don't think I'm antisocial, especially since antisocial implies like against people hanging out and having fun. Although at various points I've been against people having fun. That's how I got the name Killjoy. But, uh, you know, like as someone who doesn't 
go to parties as my like hobby, right? Right. Um, tabling is perfect. Tabling is like like going to the space and being like, I have a purpose. There's a reason I'm here. And if you know, if you're someone who's listening and you're like worried about how to be, yeah, how to be contributing, like like especially if a lot of people I think struggle to be just an attendee, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, if you set up a a little harm. Re- reduction distro or a zine distro or a combination of the two or whatever else you can set up and leave or you can set it up and hang out and be like no it's cool i'm supposed to be here i'm sitting behind a table that's why i'm not dancing everyone thinks i'm not dancing because i don't like dancing but it's actually because i'm stuck i have an important job to do it (laughs) yeah totally i would definitely be dancing and enjoying dancing but i'm stuck behind this table if anyone identifies with that Exactly. Um, I just, I want to push like uh-huh. one no fun insurrecto listening to this to go to like one dance party and have a couple conversations with people. And I want to have, I want to challenge one listener who's constantly at the dance parties to like, I don't know, go to a gun range or listen to this podcast or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and actually, because you talk about like, like punk rock radicalized you, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. we're, we, I, I talk to people and people are like a little bit dismissive of that, you know, uh, or usually about their own stories. I've never heard anyone be dismissive of other people getting radicalized that way. But, you know, it's like right. people are like, oh, like Green Day got me in or, or whatever, you know. And I'm like, well, one, Green Day, I, I don't know if they still do, but they throw a ben- like when the AK Press warehouse burned down, they throw a benefit. And this is well after they were you know famous as fuck. But, yeah. but I think that actually there's like something to the fact that subculture carries the flame when larger social movements have gone away. I actually think that this happened in the 1940s. I, sorry, I have everything I do has to now tie into history because it's what I do is read history books. all the time. Right. But like <laughs> there's like this like dead period in anarchism and, and actually most leftist stuff that isn't like purely Bolshevism or whatever. Right. After world war two, a lot of us died. Um, and the people carrying the flame were like art movements and, anarcho-pacifists mm-hmm. in New York City and Jewish anarchists who were like primarily like fo- focusing on like the cultural things that they're reproducing in their own culture. And um, and I think that the same is also true of the like 80s and 90s that punk and other subcultures carried the flame not just of anarchism but of a lot of radical ideas through this very dead period. Obviously a ton of shit was happening but overall mm-hmm. there wasn't as much radicalism in the United States as there is more recently. So I, I, I think subculture is a, a brilliant way to get people in. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And the internet I think has really played a big role in this too, because we think about um, aesthetics and social media and mm-hmm. how, yeah. And I think about how COVID and the internet usage and the cultures that kind of arose when everyone was, you know, really not able to get together. Punk aesthetics has maybe been like a unifying point and that that can be a point of radicalization too. It's like, okay, we're getting together for this. And like, if it's the right people engaging, right. It's like, we're coming together for this need to belong and this, you know, kind of unifying around common interest, common hobby, common sound, um, whatever it may be. Right. And it's bringing that, you know, the the ethics and the core values and the core tenets back up and kind of, you know, passing along. If we're carrying the torch, we're also passing it along, right? Setting people um, on fire, you mean? Uh, 
Okay, so so what does it look like to throw a benefit? Just like run me through it. I want to throw a benefit. What do I do? Um, yeah, first thing you need to do is identify when and what the goal is. Um, so if you, you know, you're say we have this action going down, we want to do this thing. It's going to take this much money. It's going to be on this date. So we need to have a thing. Say that's going to happen a month away. Mm -hmm. We're going to book a thing. I mean, I would encourage people to not start planning an event within one month of when, you know, when they, um, plan on executing whatever event it may be, find a location. Um, things that I encourage people to consider are, um, just general access of that location. Um, if it's a bar or is it going to be an all ages type thing? Um, if it is a DIY space, what does the accessibility of that space look like? Think about physical accessibility, whether or not Um, There will be like an open outdoor space or if it will be enclosed, whether or not you're going to ask people to wear masks at the space, just kind of general accessibility concerns. Once you have your location locked down and, you know, there's there's other things that maybe you consider. Maybe you have a connection with somebody who has a space. Maybe it's someone's basement. Mm -hmm. There's maybe it's under a bridge somewhere. Um, I mean, you can do anything anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, Just I mean, like whatever it takes. I mean, yeah. um, and it the more DIY you want to go, and by that I mean like if you want to say throw a party under a bridge, mm-hmm. identify your people that are going to help you because you cannot do that on your own, right? And so mm-hmm. if you say you and I are now just throwing a party under a bridge, that's what we've right. decided. Identify what you're what you need, and that's going to look like. So we need a generator. Find your find your people who are going to perform. What is this going to look like? Is it going to be? Are we throwing um, a goth rave and Nomadic War Machine is going to play? Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we communicate with our artists in the totally professional and respectful way. Um, mm-hmm. Promise just, them that it starts at seven p.m. and is over by one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or, and, and don't and don't hold to that at all. No, I'm just <laughs> Yeah, um, communicate well with your artists, figure out what their rate may be. Um, and then once that is secured, then you have your artists, you have your location, you have your date. You need to make your promotional materials and you need to secure your speakers, PA, fog machine, I don't know, whatever you decide that you need. And I mean, I really encourage people to do whatever they want. So yeah. get your lube and giant pools for your lube wrestling party, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but I don't know. Asheville loves a gimmick. So we're always throwing a gimmick in there. (laughs) But You know, I also like encourage people to figure out, figure out what the people around them like, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So we're at the point now where we have our artist in our location and our venue and we have a flyer and we have a PA secured. Um, and then you just put the word out there. I love to hit the streets with a staple gun. And I think that that is a perfectly fine thing to do. And social media is great as well. We promote online and we promote in the streets and we pass out handbills at other events. And that's my three main modes of 
promoting. Um, maybe you have a list serve in your community that you can let people know. Maybe you can ask the performers to promote it on their networks as well. Maybe you're friends with one of the performers who has a podcast who can mention it on her podcast. Um, <laughs> think about reaching out. I mean, always, always com- communal over individual when it comes to doing anything, I guess, but doing, doing this as well, you know, reach out to all of your networks and make it less about who's, who is, who it is and more about um, what it is and what brings us together. Yeah. And then you do it. And I mean, I, I, unfortunately we have to take safe, pretty serious safety considerations into the parties that we throw because of threats of violence in the past. Uh, yeah, Margaret and I have both been doxxed <laughs> after various things that have happened in Asheville that yeah. were just fun little events. And so, yeah, maybe there's, maybe there's, and again, this is like where I go to collectives and the people you know and the people you trust because we aren't cop callers. And if something were to go down at one of our shows, we put pretty intentional consideration into safety planning having a medic there in case someone, you know, breaks their leg at lube wrestling or, or if, you know, if something really hits the fan, just having, having safety plans in place is feels important yeah. too. What is the evacuation plan? If the cops bust up, you're under the bridge rave. Um, and how can you make sure that everyone is accounted for and that, you know, the marginalized people present are not just left yeah. to, you know, yeah. that people have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. Um, and building that culture does start, I think, with the people who are hosting the event. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, every part of that. And one of the, to the not leaving people behind thing. One of the things that I think actually really behooves experienced, people who have experience in the streets and have experience with conflict with police. Um, I... I have a pretty strong sense of self-preservation and I tend to know the best exit at any given point and I'm pretty good at getting out of situations. What actually behooves me in crises is to use the fact that I have that experience to not be the first one out, Mm. but instead to help the people who don't have that experience get out. Um, The more experienced people should be the people who are taking a higher level of risk uh, the organizers should be the people taking a higher level of risk. The organizers will be more in the know. They'll be more aware of when police are coming, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's a time to be brave. Um, most, you know, obviously most DIY shows and stuff have nothing of the sort, you know, like, um, but no, I, yeah. I really like, I, I mean, really I'm, like, I'm, I'm, go ahead. yeah. I'm just thinking about a time. I'm thinking about a time that, some gay college kids here in Asheville threw a house party and some random dude that was a neighbor wandered up on the party and he was being weird. So he got last asked to leave. So he came back with a gun and he fired off around into the ground, but he was obliterated, wasted. And I mean, people, people handled it. They responded quickly and handled it as well as they could. But, um, you know, after that happened, some anarchist homies came through and did porch sitting on their porch for a couple of weeks, but also sat down with them like, Hey, let's, let's make some safety planning for if this happens in the future. And 
that actually brought like probably 15 or 20 people that I would have never thought they would show any interest in community safety work, you know? And this goes back to just discounting people or not being maybe kind to people. Like, consider yeah. that, yes, these, these like apolitical party are, kids. Yeah. These apolitical party kids could be on our team with one. It takes not, yeah. you know, it's maybe they already yeah. are, you know? And that, um, that was a really powerful experience because I think on, on, we felt very grateful on both sides. And there was no, there wasn't really both sides, which we all really kind of knew each other, but you know, yeah. there was this divide. Oh, those kids aren't really with our shit. Oh, those people aren't really, you know? Yeah. And, and it was a really unifying moment. Like, yeah, now these party college kids are really down with the struggle and will show up to do porch sitting for others if they need it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it sucks that it takes, a near tragedy for that to happen. But I, what came out of it was we safety plan for everything now. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're running scenarios like it's, you know, I mean, and, and because that's what makes me feel like at the actual event, I can relax because I know, well, if something goes down, we have a plan for it. Yeah. And that that is, I mean, the queer and trans events are not getting any safer, um, not because of anything we're doing, but because of increased violence. So yeah. I don't know what, I'm not going to stop being with my people. So at the very least I can increase safety for them and for myself. Yeah. And you can do it for me. Like it's not just, yeah, we work together for that. No, I, I love it. And it, it, the ethos of we keep us safe, we just have to like actually mean it. And we have to actually like think about what is involved. I know this, this ties in so well to one of the things that I talk about a lot on the show where I'm like, one of the reasons I have a go bag is because I live in the woods and wildfire is a thing that exists. And so I prepare for that. And now I don't worry about it all the time. And what you're talking about, like, um, you know, yeah, I was recently at the Asheville Anarchist Book Fair. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. I'm not mm-hmm. doxing myself by saying this. I am <laughs> did a talk. Mm-hmm. Um, played a show. It was very fun. Y'all did a fantastic job. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't worry incredibly about my safety because of that, because I knew that there were people there doing security. Um, I knew that they were not power hungry type people. If anyone listening is like thinking about doing community defense, that's amazing and beautiful and essential and takes a certain mindset and it takes a certain, uh, calmness and it takes a certain, the kind of person who is not looking to exert power over other people, you know, um, anyone who had thinks in their heart is a petty tyrant. You should be the person to distribute, um, condoms for free and instead, um, which is also essential. And now don't go up to everyone who's distributing condoms and decide that they're a petty tyrant. Um, unless they're not letting you have condoms, unless they're like, you don't need a condom, you're not getting laid. Then like, then you should be opposed to them. Flip um, the table. That's right. <laughs> Fuck your safer sex. We live day. Yeah. No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's like a. I really like how much this immediately ties into all the preparedness stuff because this is what community preparedness is: is building culture, building community. Because the other thing, the way you're talking about this, this is community organizing, mm-hmm. and like people, 
I think sometimes think of like subcultural spaces, whether it's queer dance parties or punk shows or, you know, raves or whatever as being outside of people think subculture is distinct from culture, but there is no culture. There's no mainstream culture. Have you ever talked to a normal person? They're not normal. Like <laughs> they get dressed as normal as, as, as they want, but everyone's got something. You're like, you're talking to someone and then they're like, and then the aliens and you're like, huh? I oh, you are into that. a thing for sure. I thought yeah. you were into a thing by the way you dress, but you're into a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, we just have a, a, a myriad of intersecting subcultures and we shouldn't be, I don't know. I, I think that building subculture and especially intersecting subcultures and like, like I loved that at the book fair, there was a lot of different genres and there was a lot of different um, things happening. It wasn't just punk. Right. And I love punk, um, but not as much as I love goth. And, you know, like, I don't know. Those were those weren't the only two genres. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We had a really great time. And I, I, I am thinking more about this safety and what the role of, you know, I think mm-hmm. about what my asks are as a promoter of people mm-hmm. who are willing to show up to do some some role of safety at our events and i'm back at it again be nice to people like that is one of my main asks is over and over again like the the main energy i mean it's a really and i can usually from talking to someone for a few minutes gauge to some level what their ability to do de-escalate a situation is yeah and just like you said, if someone is coming in hot with something to prove, it's like, no, you're going to be serving beans and rice because that, yeah, totally. that is not the energy we need. You know, and, and that yeah. is, um, I just have to honor the de-escalation training and the safety trainings that I've received that taught me that, you know, we don't need to reproduce militancy or mm-hmm. um, ugly masculinity or, yeah, there is no aspect of that that keeps us safe. And I have been able to do more with my gay voice and my uh, demeanor and my just looking someone in the eyes and smiling at them and and asking them and like, you know, trying to build points of affinity to to de-escalate a situation. Um, Have been able to accomplish more that way than I've ever been able to accomplish by like trying to get book with somebody and trying to like, right. I'm doing something on a camera that the camera that people can't see, but yeah. I'm like, but just imagine, just imagine uh, <laughs> Riley <laughs> fist up, head side to side, shoulders also side to side. I really think doing a bird mating dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and I, I like that too because it's like it's also like because most of it is that, and then sometimes a bunch of people sit on your porch all week with guns and and while doing that are not not macho are communicating are friendly are friendly with neighbors aren't walking around with long guns i mean obviously there are situations in this world where that is necessary but that's not usually what we're talking about you know usually you're talking about people who have specific training that is uh, especially in medical and like keeping people safe but also includes like concealed carry and all of these things you know that is a whenever non-americans listen to some of the stuff that I talk about, people are like, whoa, fuck. <laughs> Y'all are Y'all in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah, we, we are really in trouble. 
we really are <laughs> um it's the i'm in danger meme but it's like but it's like but it's okay like that's the other thing that like you know you're talking about being like you know, you don't go to a movie and you're like, why are they showing us the fire movie, the fire exit movie? I guess they don't do this anymore. But when I was a kid, you go to the movie and it would show you like, please note the nearest exits. And like, you know, it doesn't mean that the fucking movie theater is going to burn down. It means that it might and you should know what to do, you know, and like, right. and so like bad things happen still probably driving to and from things is more dangerous than doing things like that is i remember i was reading about like wolf attacks and like um and like bear attacks and shit while camping and everything was like yeah you know the most dangerous part of camping is driving to the camp the the hiking say that (laughs) yeah um and, and and I say that not because it's like everything's safe, but rather we clearly do accept danger. That is part of living. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just want the danger to be like getting consensually kicked in the face during <laughs> one of your friend's sets in a pit and not like yeah. um, someone throwing punches and calling you slurs outside. Totally. You know? And if I want, if that happens, everyone to know that the plan is to beat that person into the ground. Yes. And no one talked to the police about what happened. Nope. Um, we saw nothing. Yeah, we all talked to lawyers instead. Exactly. No, no. Okay. I like this. This this has me excited. Every now and then, I'm like, most of the time, I'm happy that I live in the woods. Don't do anything. And sometimes I'm like, wait. Sometimes I miss the fact that I did all of these things, and I will do these things again. Okay, so you've hinted at it a bunch of different times, and you talked about different ways to be inclusive, including um, accessibility of the space for people of different mobility needs, accessibility of uh, like letting people know what the COVID risk is. um, And even like letting people know what the accessibility is, right? Like own up to it if your space is not wheelchair accessible. And actually, hopefully by owning up to it, you're kind of like slowly pressuring yourself. Tell me if I'm going about this wrong. But in my mind, you're like then kind of slowly pressure yourself to be like, oh, I really hate saying that it's not wheelchair accessible. Maybe we should. Right. Like maybe I should find a wheelchair accessible place. Yeah. And even because that's something I've really processed. I have to give it to um, a local group, DIY Abled, who really Mm -hmm. um, push for accessible spaces within DIY community here in Asheville. Um, Because I really processed it with um, this person. Her name is Priya, um, who kind of runs that group like i want to find these spaces that are accessible but it's you know it's we live in the mountains there are a lot of them just aren't and you know i feel you know all this guilt about that and she's like no like disabled people greatly appreciate you just saying it like no shame no shade like just Mm -hmm. let people know so they're not hauling ass all the way out there to find out when they get there or having to ask first like yes it does put that pressure on and even even if you are like i really want to find an accessible space and the space just simply isn't accessible naming it is increasing access because it's not um forcing someone to travel to a place that they can't yeah actually get into you know so no 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 shade at all if you can't find that kind of space but no and that makes sense and then like one of the things that i think about i'm someone who um you know, I'm very uh, COVID careful, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I really appreciate when places are like honest about like, 
you know, hey, masking is going to be encouraged or hey, masking like like the, the thing that would make me sad is if you go to a space that's like masking required and then like the organizers aren't wearing masks and no one's wearing masks. I'd rather you just didn't put that on the flyer at that point. Right. Because um, then you can like make I can make my own decisions around that. And, you know, I'll and so like putting on the flyer like a outside space is available, you know, or whatever. Right. Like, um, no, it's interesting. And so, OK, so I'm wondering what other inclusivity, not just accessibility, but like inclusivity things are like you mentioned, for example, um, about paying people like and helps remove barriers of access um, you know, for black and brown folks and like, um, and for people who suffer from class oppression as well. Um, what are, what are some of the other hot tips for inclusivity with Riley? Eh? Eh? <laughs> um, let me think about that for a second. Cause I think that at the end of the day, it just boils down to like, who is, Maybe it doesn't boil down to who is organizing, but um, yeah, I I wonder like who like who is the who is the event actually for, and what is the goal? What is the goal? You know, because I think about you know how different Pansy Collective might look if the intention was to book queer artists, but we weren't in and ourselves queer or if right. i was just like a punk promoter who was like i want to make my shows better but wasn't actually gay i don't i don't know if it would feel differently so i'm just like actually maybe huh mm-hmm. part of it is uh, us we we got to be the ones doing it but i you mean like other doing it ourselves? like like it's in the name it's almost as if we're doing it ourselves yeah they should call that something do we'll call it do (laughs) (laughs) i actually do remember at some point writing something about pansy collective and i like closed it off on this line that i was so proud of that was like we call it diy but really it's dit doing it together and That rings fucking true. I mean, it's a little I, I, yeah. Yeah. doing it together a little. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I think about taking ego out of it or I'm like, yeah, revisiting the, the, from a promoter aspect, the thing that I really hate to see from promoters and the thing that we were able to kind of try our best to circumvent as a collective was this, you know, we don't want it to be about like who it is that's doing the thing, you know? Um, And for a long time, we tried really hard to make the face behind who Pansy Collective was anonymous for safety reasons, because um, I, I don't know, I've named this a little bit already, but at the time in 2016 and 17, when we started organizing together, the block was really hot. And um, white supremacists were told to start keeping an eye on Asheville. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there was a lot of attention on what we were doing. So we tried to stay anonymous, partially for safety reasons, but partially because it felt less like, um, 
yeah, like a cool kid club ego stroke. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, this is me doing this. And instead it's like, no, this is, this is a collective. And this is, this collective is you and it's me and it's everyone. And it doesn't matter who it is because it's about the thing. It's not about who's booking it. Right. Um, yeah. I think about that, that, that approach from a promoter standpoint as a way to circumvent the cool kid shit that makes spaces yeah. feel really unwelcoming because if you're not in it, then you're not welcome. It's like, well, yeah. if there's something to be in, then we're all here together and we're all on the same level. No, that's interesting. So what brought you to move away from that? Um, I don't think that, well, I got less scared of, um, yeah, I got less after getting my, after getting doxxed, I got less scared, I guess, because yeah, totally. different, re- you know, it's just like, Oh, y'all aren't going to fucking bust a grape. Like what? You know, and like this, the big our biggest fear happened, and yeah. then we, and then nothing happened ever. Concealed carry class together. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Can yeah. I say that? Can I name that yeah, we did I mean, that? I'm, like, I'm out yeah. about. I've talked about how I after getting docs, I got my concealed carry. Yeah, yeah, and so, so like, I mean, I I was with Margaret on that. Yeah. I mean, it was probably like twenty or thirty of us, and big yeah. props to the the person that helped organize getting us all together for that but yeah i mean we we really responded like all right like if yeah. y'all want to with us we're gonna up our defense and keep <laughs> rolling and we did and it's fine yeah. um and so i i got less scared because i'm like they don't want any smoke with us like yeah what's you know blast our dead names do whatever i don't give a shit we're we're yeah. really not it's we've really been putting up with this shit for our whole lives. So it's not that big of a deal. Like when they're like, Oh, we're going to tell your parents that you're in a queer anarchist. And I'm like, Oh, they know. They (laughs) know. (laughs) Um, They already hate me for it. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, That's either happened in a good way or a bad way already for everyone. Yeah, no, exactly. It just, it's, it's like, I'm sorry that you lost your job for being a Nazi. No, I'm not. But yeah. it doesn't really work. Like, what you're yeah. going to tell my leftist coffee shop job that I'm part yeah. of the anti that got me a raise, actually. Yeah, yeah, and even like, um, you know, one of the people who was docs who works at a a coffee shop where didn't even have a good relationship with the owners of the coffee shop, and the coffee shop was like, "What? That sucks. Fuck them." <laughs> you know, right. like no yeah. one's like mad. Yeah, it's not samey, samey. They think it's samey, samey, but they live in a weird bubble where Antifa is bad, and everyone is aware that Nazis are bad. Everyone knows that Nazis are bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is very well said. So, I mean, I still feel like, you know, I I, I still feel like it's important that at um, whatever event, I'm really impressed by organizers mm-hmm. and not even just at an event in the streets too. Yeah. I mean, it's very off putting and you can tell very quickly if somebody is, um, my partner calls it all up in the videos, dancing. Um, <laughs> is, you know, dancing. Yeah. Are yeah. you here to, you know, are you here to make a difference? Or are you here to be seen as a good person? Yeah. Um, you know, and that doesn't run as deep at a party. Cause it's like, we're all here to, do something. It doesn't matter, but yeah. Um, yeah, playing a role, whether it's running sound, doing security, t- 
handing some artists some money, working behind a table, whatever. Um, Taking the ego out of it makes the event more accessible for everyone, including you. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. I go to artists too. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to book people who are more about themselves than about the community they're playing with. Yeah, totally. Cause then it's like, I want to celebrate people within my community doing something amazing, but not Mm -hmm. in this way that makes me think that they're amazing and I'm not right. When we put people on stages, I mean, obviously sometimes stages are useful for literal accessibility actually, so that everyone can see and things like that. But when we put, when we elevate people metaphorically, like this is what I like about punk. The thing that really got me about punk and why I started liking the music more was this sense of like someone from our crowd has emerged and shown and been, you know, and it could be about their name. It can be about the thing that they've done. And then they come back into the crowd um, and then they are of us and they are coming from us. And I really like that because then we can celebrate what makes us each individual and exceptional, but not in a way that says that these people are better than us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's why I also never want it to get any bigger than it is. Right. Or I, mm-hmm. you know, I love when punk projects, um, keep it to a certain size, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't want to be working with large venues. I don't want to be working with tens of thousands of dollars. I don't want to be working with um, green rooms. And yeah, there's just, um, I am of a particular, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I just don't want to do all that, you know? I feel more yeah. comfortable in somebody's hot basement or in a shitty dive bar or yeah. uh, under a bridge, I guess. No, that makes sense. I think of like, I think of it as like, are there ways where if we get, because I think Chumbawamba rules, right? They, they, they did their sellout thing. They got a ton of money. They financed all of these projects and it was always a compromise and it like wasn't an easy thing. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they like blew their, you know, celebrity and like went back to doing DIY shit and like, that's fucking great. And like, and so I think that, like, I think we sort of need both. I actually do think we need the stadium stuff because we, if the stadium stuff is also, like, financing us. But it's not building the DIY culture. It's kind of like the tech bro who gives tons of money rules and is great and is amazing and it is a sacrifice that someone is making uh, to spend all their time working if they are capable of producing. Like, someone who's capable of getting a lot of money by working, I actually think it's, like, a really good idea for them to do that. So they get a bunch of money and give it to things, you know? Yeah. I'm um, not mad about that at all. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's funny. I think Chumbawamba would have like, I think people would have been so much less mad at them if it had happened like now instead of, uh, or maybe I just say this because now I get paid to podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I have a bias here. <laughs> get knocked down, knocked down, but you get back up again. Maybe. It's I know. I know. Never going <laughs> to keep me down. Um, well, okay. So is there any like is there any like standout question that I didn't ask you that I probably should have or do you have any like final words or No, I let me think about that for a second. I don't know. I think I just want people to get out there and do it. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Start that project. Put yourself out there. Um, share it with us. Come through Asheville. Yeah. We'll book you. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the secret is to really begin. Do the thing that you want to do. That's what's so great about DIY is that it actually doesn't matter if it sucks. Like, just do it. And then if you don't like it, do it better next time. And if you do like it, no one else likes it. Just keep doing it. Fuck it. Whatever. Exactly. Um, eventually, the people who think what you're doing is cool will show up. Uh, I never thought there would be a goth night at an anarchist book fair. But I've been in a lot of goth bands. And finally, I got to play an anarchist book fair. So it all works out. Um, okay. Well, how can people uh, either find you or your projects y'all can check out pansy collective on um instagram it's pansy.collective um that's kind of it thank you margaret yeah thank you so much thank you all so much for listening if you enjoyed this podcast you should go out and start a band or start booking benefits or go to an event and make friends with people or don't make friends with people or don't be a cool kid at the thing if you're already in the in crowd um or you can financially support us because we don't pay at the moment we don't pay the hosts which is fine um but we do pay the transcriptionists and the audio editor because they're doing the like completely thankless work and so thanks by the way both transcriptionists and audio editor who now have to hear me say this um you can support us by supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangers in the tangled wilderness. We send out a zine every month to our backers at $10 or more. We have another podcast called Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness where we do a free audio version and an interview with the person who has recorded the zine or who wrote the zine. The, the, put the verbs in the right order on, on your own time. Um, and in particular, we would like to thank... Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, it's a good, good choice, Funder, Jans, Oxalis, Janice and Odell, Paige, Allie, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, Sean, SJ, Paige, Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Kat J, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Kirk, Sam, Chris, Micaiah, and Haas the Dog. Thank you, Haas the Dog. And everyone be as well as you can and We'll talk to you soon.